Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 103 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, I feel like we need to clear the air on a couple of things. Um, uh, namely, we had a fake sponsor that we never talked about. I, I wasn't sure if you are actually going to bring that up. Ah, why not? So, uh, uh, for episode 100, which some of you listened to and loved, I uh, pretended to disappear. And the, one of the main suspects uh, of my disappearance was, of course, this weird collective who is running a website called reportyoursighting.com, which actually Angela and I put together. Well, it's mostly you. Yeah, I'm trying to do the like the this the, you know the sympathetic like we're a united front kind of uh, uh, podcasting thing here. Well, I'm trying to so like if people liked episode 100, it's because of Brian. If people hated episode 100, it's because of Brian. Oh, for sure. I'm yeah, good, I'm good with both things. You kind of are a man who doesn't want to take action, though. No, I don't. I don't do anything. Which is weird because we had a whole conversation today about the infamous trolley problem, like the philosophical problem of like. Uh, diverting a trolley in order to save one person's life versus uh, five people's lives. Yeah, so you really want to talk about this? I, I so do, because I'm so fascinated by this, because, uh, you know, so just to set the stage, right, uh, you had this conversation with your child. She watches a show called Brain Games. It's from uh, National Geographic. It's on Netflix. And one of the episodes had this trolley problem, so she was asking me what I'd do. And, uh, so, before I forget, like, the trolley problem is is thusly, right? So there is a trolley uh, running amok, right? It is barreling uh, towards a track, right? And there's, uh, it's going to hit five people, right? Yes. And uh, you can divert it by hitting the switch, and it will only hit one person instead if it goes on a different track. Correct. And you, my friend, are a uh, mass murderer. Okay. Most people say they would flick the switch and allow it to hit the one person, saving the five other people. Right? right? I think that's established. My feeling is that I wouldn't touch anything because if I press the switch, I am murdering the one person that I'm affecting this trolley that's run amok. Whereas if I don't do anything, I'm just an innocent bystander and uh, I see Who watches this five people die? Well... What's five minus one, Angelo? Four. Okay, there you go. So uh, net savings of four people here. I understand, but I would feel like I murdered that person. I, I get that, but at the same time, wouldn't you... So, uh, let's just have a little bit of fun with this, because you murder five people with your inaction, their families are real mad at you, Angelo, and they're coming after you, so you're dead anyways. I never thought of it that far ahead. <laughs> well, we were also, like, we were kind of getting into the weeds a bit, because I was like, what if two of those five people, like, were family members, and you said, obviously, I'd hit the switch and kill the stranger. Yes, so then I would have no problem uh, murdering someone to save somebody I love. Uh, the fantastic podcast, everyone. This is real good podcasting here. Uh, so uh, this really isn't what we want to talk about tonight at all. But let us uh, sort of ask our listeners uh, what they think, their thought process. You can go ahead and tweet us at double underscore density. You can also visit double density.net in order to hit the contact button and uh, air your grievances against either Angelo or I. Um, for me, the net benefit of saving four people is better than, uh, you know, uh, killing five, saving one. What's better than saving four people, Brian? I don't know where this is going to go. So I'm going to say saving five people. No, it's adding eight gigabytes of RAM to a Mac. <laughs> oh, I walked right into that one. Yes. You, uh, you have been the bane of my existence with this. So I'm going to give you the floor on your RAM venture. Oh, there's really not much to say. I had eight gigabytes of RAM in my 2015 iMac and I bumped it up to 16 by adding another eight, which was quite easy. The only thing is, if anybody's looking at RAM out there for Macs and stuff, companies like Crucial, which is where I bought my 
RAM from have both like quote unquote Mac RAM and just regular RAM, it's the same thing. But you were stressing at one point because you had bought the regular RAM and were worried that something would happen to your precious computer. No, I just wondering what the difference was. And what I found is that there's really no difference. No, there isn't. Uh, substantially, like, uh, kind of like high level, there is no big difference to that. So the advice out there is basically buy whichever one's on sale. There you go. So you did what your heart and your brain told you to do. You bought more RAM as if you needed it. Yeah, and I've noticed that my Mac is actually using what's available. So typically when we record, I'm using about four or five gigabytes of RAM to do whatever I'm doing. And right now my Mac's using a good seven and a half gigabytes of RAM because it's available to it. Right. So it's just it's buffering up as needed. Uh I'm just using I'm using six forty K anyway, so who cares, right? That's all you really need. That's what uh Bill Gates said. Is is that a correct attribution though is or is it like it some is weird... no it it is it is a real thing. Okay. Yeah. But at the time, yes, you didn't need more than 640k. Just like right now, you don't need more than 8 gigabytes really or 16 gigabytes. You're totally fine with that unless you're like a professional who's I'm not I'm not editing video to output in 4K, so I'm, I'm No, fine exactly. Here. Uh, because uh, we do have friends that are like developers and stuff, and they definitely uh, yeah, shoot the RAM like there's no tomorrow. Of course. Uh, sort of related, like you need a lot of RAM um, if you also decide to do any sort of gaming. Less so now, though. I think the gaming aspect of things falls on the graphics card, which is why Macs are terrible at gaming. Correct. Uh, I struggle to play, uh, you know, even the most basic of games here these days. Yeah, I don't really try to play many games on my Mac. I, I'm not very fond of playing with a mouse and keyboard. I, I know people really are, and that's totally fine. I much prefer console gaming. I do too. Uh, speaking of console gaming, there is a New York Times piece out there about how video game creators and uh, you know uh, members of video game production teams should start unions, and I'm fully in agreement with this. If there's one industry um, that I can think of that uh, yields a very high profits and uh, uh, demands a lot of time from its members uh, who also don't have any job security once a project is done, it is video game creation. This year has been a year of a lot of uh, job cuts in the video game industry, and uh, it's... It must be frightening when you're working in something you love. Most people that are working in video games aren't like there because, oh, I have to go make a video game today. It's because they really love what they're doing. They're professionals that have gone to school to learn how to create video games. And it's an art form of some kind, right? And people who make this love doing it. And when there's something looming over their head where they can lose their job at any time and not have any security... And having some sort of union would be really beneficial to people working in that industry. I definitely agree, especially when you are, you know, putting an hour, uh, like something like 80 to 100 hours a week during the last couple of months in order to get a game to ship on time in order to meet our release target to make your bosses money. And these bosses make so much more money than just the regular person working in these companies. I agree. Uh, I see that you've decided to uh, sort of include a couple of stats here, which I find very interesting from the article. For example, Bobby Kotick made $28.6 million in 2017. That includes like cash, stock, compensation. And the stat that stood out is that's 306 times the median Activision Blizzard employee salary. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like it's a disparate amount of money uh, for uh, people on the lower rungs who actually spend all the time creating, right? And now contrast this with Nintendo, who are the good guys of video games. In 2011, when Nintendo was having trouble, like when the 3DS came out, it did not do well. And uh, Satoru Iwata took a pay cut of 50% to make sure that people didn't lose their jobs. And some other Nintendo higher-ups, like um, 
Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto also took pay cuts of a lesser extent. And the thing is, how much was Satoru Wada even making at that point? Uh, not $28.6 million. He was making about $770,000 a year, which is a lot of money, yes, but n- not even close to what people like uh, Bobby Kotick are making. Right, and I think that's the company mentality versus the studio mentality that a lot of these different places have in North America, right? That That's the differentiation between the two. I think Nintendo runs their um, ship for better or for worse like... Uh, like a like a company would whereas like this is uh, product based right um and and project based it's a different mentality unfortunately here in north america i also think something that nintendo does differently is that they actively in the pipeline look at their projects coming out versus a lot of these other studios are very reactionary about what happens uh to their next project and how that unfolds and uh what forecasts then create uh, for their projects after that in a cascading kind of effect well, like, look what Nintendo did with uh, the upcoming Metroid game. Well, upcoming. We don't know how far away it is, but they just decided to scrap it because it wasn't working. Yep. Yeah, and it's, it's a brave move, but it's also uh, a move by a company that has a lot in their in their coffers, too, where, like, a lot of these AAA studios live and die by their latest title. Yeah, and, and look, of course, uh, things like unions have their critics. Um, I, I, myself, am part of a union, and uh, sometimes it's great, sometimes it's annoying, but ultimately, I feel safer being part of one where I know I don't really have to worry too much about all of a sudden one day being escorted from the building by security, uh, like seems to be the story with some of these gaming companies. Yeah, like right after you hit the final, you know, control S, literally in some cases. Yeah, it's 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 quite sad. Uh, speaking about something uh, that is sad, though, I linked you to a BBC story um, asking why there's so little left of the early Internet, which I found kind of interesting because I use and abuse archive.org on a regular basis in order to look up um, the websites of yesteryear. And of course, there's a lot of like different um, websites that have different broken components to them because they haven't been indexed properly. But still a fun look through, uh, you know, Rose. Uh, colored glasses in order to see what websites look like you know uh you know 2000 2001 uh i actually that was one of the first things i did uh when i started working my newest position is looking at uh, our corporate websites old versions from like 10 15 years ago it's actually pretty shocking to see how different these sites looked even just 10 years ago 15 years ago and you know, we like to joke a lot about web rings, but that, that was something that used to see a lot back in the day. And I'm sure most of the sites that I visited in the late 90s and early 2000s don't exist anymore. They exist in archive form. Not all of them. That's the thing. And what I took away from this article is, you know, the saying like the Internet is forever, but it, it seems to not be. It, uh, it, well, I mean, like a, a version of the Internet is right. But I also think that I do believe that the Internet is a living, uh, breathing thing for better or for worse. Yeah, things disappear like all your music from MySpace. Yeah, which is great news uh, to me. I got super excited because Archive.org actually um, resurfaced about 100,000 of those. or I, I think it was like either 100,000 or 500,000 of those. Um, none of those, of course, being anything that uh, I put up, thankfully. So we are safe from that. <laughs> Too bad. I do have MP3s of my rap duo from like uh, 10 years ago. Okay, and are we going to be posting those on our website? I don't even know if we should. What do you think? I don't even know if I have the permission of the other person who I who I did it with. So you'd have to get that permission first, and then we'll see about it. Right. We're very much into copyright laws here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and respecting uh, copyright ownership for sure. Uh, I do find the article interesting in that um, it does talk about a lot of different ways in which uh, we uh, have sort of evolved, but it's not as easily viewable, right? Well, it's like things disappear, And just, like you said, it's like a living, breathing thing. So uh, stuff gets taken away and other stuff just comes in and fills in what was there. Uh, 
you had mentioned to me recently that it's like a diary where uh, in a diary, you don't just start tearing up pages and adding other things. It's, it's always continuous. Whereas the internet things just go away and sometimes come back. It's a very bumpy road, this internet. <laughs> and that's yeah. the most like facile um, uh, sentence I've ever said on the show. I think maybe uh, a couple of interesting things to note. Actually, I've seen a lot of um, uh, tweets in the last week of uh, from journalists to journalists, reminding them and each other to sort of save offline backup versions of uh, their work because nothing of course is forever. And also I kind of wanted to do a show about this but uh, i don't know if it, it warrants a full show but one of the things i was really interested in um in high school and you know um you know 2001 to maybe like five or six ish before the advent of youtube which we'll talk about in a sec actually as another topic um uh, i didn't have access to uh, m- uh music video outlets right so there were websites set up that were explicitly about ripping and then um, distributing both uh, proper music videos and then live sets from bands I was really into. So three sites in particular, Against the Media, Urban Chaos Videos, and Nothing Videos. I uh, don't know if anyone uh, also uh, you know, uh, did the same through lack of actually having access to these uh, official channels, but I was one of those people who used to set up a download helper in order to uh, capture all of these MPEGs. Well, I used to record them on VHS tapes, and I had all these music videos uh, saved that way. And uh, now I feel like I wasted all my time because who who knew 20 some odd years later, I would just literally type what I wanted into a search bar and it would just pop up. Any music video you want that you can remember is probably somewhere on YouTube. Uh, and it's probably misnamed, unfortunately, half the time I've realized. Yeah. Uh, well, well, speaking of music something and taping, something that uh, uh, the, uh, the last anecdote in the article kind of caught my eye where... Um, Somebody was discussed in the article, uh, Dame Wendy Hall. She was on an episode of Top of the Pops, which was uh, on BBC uh, decades ago. It still and, is. Uh, is it still on, really? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that still existed. It, it just kind of reminded me how you know the BBC taped over that. And they also taped over old Doctor Who episodes, which are now completely lost. That's right, yeah. Uh, because uh, nobody you know, in the 50s and 60s decided that to be important television, right? No, no need to archive this stuff. Who's going to want to watch it again? What's a rerun? Yeah, exactly. What are like additional review streams? Who knows? Double density. Moving on to the uh, final uh, piece of the tech puzzle for uh, this week's episode is an article from The Verge, which I feel is like the most succinct retelling of the uh, corporate side, I guess, more or less of, of YouTube. Um, it's evolution from 2005 until, you know, dystopian 2019. YouTube's a weird place. Yeah, yeah. The whole kind of thesis of the article is wondering if the golden age of YouTube is over. And I mean, like they definitively stated in the title, but it's also like it feels more of a question than, uh, you know, an actual um, uh, statement to make. That the golden age of YouTube is over? Yeah. Look, I've actually gotten into YouTube more in the last year or two. Uh, Now that I have YouTube premium where I don't have to deal with the horrible ads, I kind of have the channels I like. I'm totally fine with YouTube because I stay away from uh, horrible things like our buddy Jake Paul. Right. Uh, And Logan Paul and all those people. Right. But they uh, far outnumber you. Unfortunately, yes. But a lot of the people they discussed in this article, I've never heard of like the the Philippouti twins. Yeah. They're kind of an offshoot of the Logan brothers. Yeah. I've never heard of them. And uh, they don't sound like people I'd, I'd really like be interested in watching either. You know, I, I did watch PewDiePie videos, like, I guess, two years ago or whatever, yes. whenever this came up. And I watched just like a couple of days after it was posted, the video they talk about here where he was doing all those stupid things with the Fiverr people. Right. And at the time, I was like, mm, this is not good. And uh, not long after that, I stopped watching PewDiePie. 
I mean, it's very edgelordy kind of behavior, right? Yeah, he's kind of annoying. Okay, so you're a YouTube creator who's hit a certain level of fame, right? How do you keep innovating and evolving without scaling up properly? Because a lot of these YouTube creators, um, while money is flowing in, don't, like, and, and barring, of course, like PewDiePie, but I'm talking about like the mid-level um, uh, content creators who have enough money to survive but not enough money to build, then what do you do? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, the like for example, people- like uh, there's this one channel that I love watching, The Completionist, right? So he has a small team of people, and like he does it reasonably well. But I don't, you know, he's definitely not in the same league as a PewDiePie, right? So the idea of he has to bust his ass, you know, sixty, eighty hours a week in order to get content out for people who then complain about it. And does he does he work that many hours a week? For sure, he has to beat these video games. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And the thing, so for example, like I kind of see this analogous to a lot of Twitch streamers, right? So I've, I've, um, seen a lot of really interesting interviews where like beyond the sitting there and playing video games as you uh, like, like to allege these kids are doing. Um, and some of them are a little bit older than kids. So that's defamatory. There's a lot of marketing that it's involved. There's a lot of self promotion. It's, it's kind of a tireless, uh, grind where, you know, you are your brand. Yeah. It's just, I'm coming from a point of view where you're doing this. It's not like, again, like the video game jobs where it's totally different, but similar in in another way where you're not doing something you hate. It's not like you got stuck doing this like dead end job. You're doing something. I mean, it's not a dead end job, but at the same time, like if you're doing this for seven or eight years at this point, uh, that's 70 years of like professional nine to five and you haven't done necessarily. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then you're kind of, almost stuck in and then what are you supposed to do go do like an entry-level position a lot of the time like yeah you know you're kind of stuck in this mode because you've been at this for so long and the money used to be good before you know the algorithm changed um before they started monetizing longer videos you know like the the evolution in which youtube has sort of evolved as a platform um they haven't been very transparent in a lot of the things that they've done in order to explain why there are certain preferences placed on certain channels um algorithmically right yeah, and it's so like a couple of my favorite podcasters are also a couple of my favorite YouTubers, and that's uh, Brady Heron and CGP Gray from Hello Internet and their YouTube channels. Like CGP Gray hardly puts out any videos; he puts out like what ten to fifteen a year at this point, if that. Right, uh, and he's kind of diversified by going more into podcasting and having uh, merchandise as well associated with his podcast. And he, he, I would hazard that at this point he makes more money from his podcast than he does from. Oh, YouTube. definitely. With, without a doubt. But the thing is that like, so he's not a YouTuber. He's, he's a podcaster who doubles on YouTube now. Now. Yeah. He's, he's kind of diversified to podcasting. Whereas I think Brady is more doing the YouTube thing because he has so many channels and he's really prolific with his videos. And on his, on his podcast, he talks about how much he actually still really loves doing YouTube, but he, I think his biggest but I channel I don't is think a million he's, followers. Is he, is he reliant on YouTube for, as his primary source of income though? Right. He's really diverse with his income. So I, I'm pretty sure he gets a lot from podcasting, a lot from appearance, and a lot from YouTube. Uh, I, I would say he's more like probably 50-50 with his podcasting and YouTube. But again, I, okay. I'm just guessing. No, I no, have for sure, no for way sure. of knowing, right? Uh, whereas I'm pretty sure CGP Gray makes more, most of his money from podcasting now. You need to feed the algorithm in order to continue to be successful. And the only way you can do that is by creating content. And YouTube prizes longer content, right? So you have to sit there for longer for diminishing returns in order to just be visible at this point, right? In 2019? I think the people that have it the worst are those middle-tier YouTubers uh, in like the 100,000 follower range. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, like one to 500,000, I'd say. There was a guy, there was a recent video where he somebody posted about how much money uh, you make from having 100,000 subscribers and like that. I know um, Alex from RGBA had linked that to me and it's it's really interesting because then that video took off and he ended up making a lot more money because he got a million views. 
I do believe that uh, there is a sustainable model, and I'm not sure that like um, and the common argument made towards the end of the article is that YouTube basically has turned its back on its true creators in order to line itself up with uh, you know traditional celebrities in order to be able to seem viable to advertisers as a safe brand, right? Because there's all these incidents, incidents like you were mentioning the PewDiePie thing, you were mentioning the you know the Jake Paul uh, dead body in the forest thing. Like it's just, unfortunately like these are just egos gone unchecked, right? Yeah, uh, and uh, trying to one-up yourself by going way too far. Yeah, and I agree with that, right? Like, uh, I do think, uh, we talked about this, I think, a couple months ago, but, like, the YouTube Rewind for 2018 was massively downvoted because it it had nothing of the things that they were interested in. One of the people they featured was Ninja, who's a Twitch streamer who has a YouTube channel, but Twitch streaming is what he does. The only YouTuber, like, that was uh, seemed to, like, have any uh, love was uh, MKBHD, who's a really good YouTuber, actually. He doesn't seem to be burning himself out. He seems to be coming up with new things all the time. And he's he's an example of somebody who's been really successful on YouTube and not had to resort to um, clickbaity stuff and really outlandish things. Right, but he's carved a niche out for himself versus a lot of these other people who are going centrist towards the mainstream, right? Like, and I think when the article mentions something really interesting that contextualizes a lot of what's happening with the younger um, uh, segment of YouTube is that when Vine closed down, they had nowhere else to go in order to display and showcase what they were up to, which is why the like the Pauls appear, like all these other people appeared on YouTube as a platform. Yeah, uh, Ethan Klein has talked about in that article, and he's uh, another really strong YouTuber who also like is able to create a, a niche for himself, make money doing YouTube, but also point out the flaws in YouTube while actually for sure. working with it. I, I Once again, I don't think YouTube is his primary source of income anymore now that he's on Twitch, right? Like, And, 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 the, and the podcast. Yeah, and the podcast. Well, that's the thing. Being on Twitch, uh, the podcast, the ad rates are astronomically high for him because he gets such high viewer counts on their live versus... Um, I think the podcast uh, definitely is his main uh, financial, you know, sort of revenue stream versus YouTube now is a secondary thing that he feeds on a regular basis in order to be able to keep his name in the conversation. Well, YouTubers that have millions of subscribers, if they go into podcasting and bring even just, you know, a few hundred thousand of those subscribers with them for podcasting, the money with advertising there is so much better. For sure, for sure. It's, like you said, astronomical because... Yeah. Uh, what are, like, the CPMs for that? It's, like... It's ridiculous. Uh, it's it's so high in comparison. It's funny. Like, there's an exodus from YouTubing into podcasting. Yeah, for sure, because you can more... You can control your pipeline from start to end. You know, your your content delivery pipeline is not reliant on eyeballs at this point. It's reliant on making sure that your brand stays strong enough and that you are able to push out content um, at whatever regular interval you want, right? Yeah, and I would say that like for people coming from YouTube, uh, a podcast in terms of uh, cost and efficiency and I don't want to say ease of creation, but there's a lot less involved in in making a podcast, well, depending on what you're doing, right? But if it's like the H2HD podcast, he's just talking to guests, right? Uh, I think there's a lot less work involved than what he used to do for videos. Oh, for sure. I mean, he also has a board op, right? Running the the cameras and things like that. Yeah, I mean, look, look at Casey Neistat, right? He has a podcast with his wife, uh, very successful. And compared to the amount of work he puts into his YouTube videos, it's probably like completely minimal. Oh, for sure. Uh, Just a quick note. I do believe I accidentally said that Jake Paul was a suicide forest guy. I think it's his brother, Logan. uh, So I just want to clarify that one. They're Uh, interchangeable, Brian. In case anyone's yelling at their phone while listening to us. I'd be curious to know how many of our listeners are subscribers to... uh, either of the Pauls. 
Yeah, double underscore density on Twitter. Let us know. Send us an email, double density podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I do believe this is a logical place in order for us to transition from tech to the paranormal. Does that sound good to you, Angelo? Yeah, I, I just want to know would you be appalled if uh, Ooh, any of our listeners? Whoa, listened? whoa, good job, my friend. I'll see you on the other side. Thank you. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So the first thing we'd like to note this week is a huge congratulations to some friends of ours. Friend of the show and previous guest Desdemona's show uh, Calling Darkness was featured on Podmass, which is huge. Not just not just featured, but the first podcast in the list this week. When you sent me that link, I was like overjoyed because it's so nice to see somebody's hard work pay off like that. Yeah. Uh, a bit of a different podcast than what we do here. It is a uh, dram- <laughs> really, really fictionalized bi-weekly podcast. Go check it out. It started uh, in mid-Feb and uh, you can easily, very easily catch up. Each episode is about a half hour. So definitely uh, go support people whose content we enjoy. Just don't listen with your kids. No, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's actually a really good point. It's a very grown-up <laughs> show, but a really um, good show. So moving on to uh, proper things I want to talk about this week is I saw some uh, pictures floating around on Twitter from local Montrealers who had witnessed people holding signs about how uh, last Saturday was E.T. Embassy Day, my friend. So I was very intrigued because a lot of them had the website etembassy.org listed. And so, of course, I type that in. I look in the top left and I see elohimembassy.org, which, of course means only one thing, Angela. It means our friends, the Raelians, are out and about worldwide trying to get an embassy to welcome extraterrestrials. So I clicked on the link, Brian. Uh, it's nauseating. Too much moving around. Like it, the, the words follow my mouse cursor. It's super creepy. <laughs> um, something I want you to do. So if you look at the top bar, there's a, 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 on the top menu, there's evidence. Oh, yeah, evidence. So if you click on it, it's either UFOs or crop circles, my friend. Which one should I click? Let's go to crop circles. Sure. Oh, crop circles. Yay, Ryan. These are really elaborate and probably not real, correct? Uh, uh, all in 2019, this website is legit 1000%. Moving on to sort of like the meat and potatoes of this, though, is uh, something you actually wanted to talk about that you brought to the table this week, which I found was really interesting. You found a uh, Reddit post on the Paranormal um, uh, subreddit entitled Something Big Is Coming. Yes, it, it caught my attention. It's uh, I, I'm subscribed to the Paranormal uh, subreddit because why not? Uh, sometimes it gives us ideas, which it did this week. I'll link to the post. But basically, it's somebody saying that he feels like something big is coming. I'll, I'll give you the, his summary of it and basically saying that he has a strong feeling of dread and survival instincts, wanting to know if anyone else feels like we're in a period of huge change. What do you think? Uh, we're always in a period of huge change. Yes, yeah. I think the first thing I noted when I when you sent this my way is that like you know just um, uh, since I've been alive thirty plus years, um, people have been saying something big is right around the corner over and over. Like idea, like um, uh, it was big in the nineties to call them Earth changes. Yeah, uh, energy shifts is yeah, uh, something yeah, uh, we've yeah. been banding about with our friend uh, Rob Kostrofferson. It's true. Uh, all of these like uh, buzzwords to mean the same thing, which is a gut feeling that something is going to change, um, but then never being able to quantify or qualify what that is. 
that's the thing with these gut feelings or whatever is similar to how people uh, always are concerned about the full moon, right? When something big happens during a full moon, if uh, you know people are, are acting crazy or whatever, you'll remember that. But other times there's a full moon and nothing happens and you won't remember that. So you'll just strike that from your memory and forget that nothing happened during that full moon. And you'll just remember the handful of times something weird happened. So if you have this gut feeling and then you know, you're walking down the street and a bus splashes you because uh, today was a slushy day here. Well, you know, your gut feeling proved correct, but then sometimes you have a gut feeling you're going to get splashed by a bus and nothing happens. Correct. It's, it's 50-50. And uh, that sort of tie goes hand in hand with the, the uh, Richard Wiseman article you, you linked to me to from Skeptic Magazine. So we kind of know where that one goes. Of course. And I'd forgotten about this. I have this book called Paranormality and it's, and it's an excerpt from that. Really good book. It's actually the first ebook I ever bought when I got my iPad in 2011. But he breaks it down mathematically. Like it's kind of interesting. He he breaks down the the chances of something happening of mathematically, right? In terms of like uh, this whole phenomenon of you actually like dreaming about uh, your surroundings and your situations, and therefore you know when they become real, or if there's an aspect of your dream that becomes real, then suddenly it's it's validation. But really, it's just your brain is just thinking about these things. And Carl Sagan's talked about it as well. A lot of a lot of skeptical books have talked about how. This all just boils down to the law of large numbers. So, you know, take a tragic event. There was a mining disaster in a town called uh, Aberfan in uh, South Wales, and it killed a lot of children because a landslide hit a school. It was a really sad event. And of course, people came out thinking that they had... um, that they had a premonition about this in dreams and stuff. And uh, another famous one he brings up is Lincoln, how he had thought he was going to die. He had had a dream about himself. The like people surrounding him and then he asked who had died and they said, oh, the president's dead. Yeah. But you know, if you're the president and you just stopped a war where half the country is that mad at you, well, you're going to be worried that somebody's going to be uh, out to get you and you're going to have dreams about it. For sure. Uh, So uh, premonitions aren't a thing that you actually do believe in. It's like what he says. It breaks down to the law of large numbers. Any event happening in the world, let's say a plane crashes, okay? Let's say a plane crashes tomorrow. Of the 7 billion people on this earth, there's going to be a a percentage of those that are going to dream about plane crashing. Yeah, absolutely. But so you don't don't believe in like mystic space math like I do? No, not at all. All in 2019. No, sorry, Brian. He basically looks at, uh, you know, if you live from the age, ages of like 15 to 75, you're dreaming X amount of numbers per night. So therefore it's like 22,000 hours or something like that, right from the article. And then the idea of, you know, uh, you thinking about a current event or something is, is highly probable. So then breaks it down further and further and further uh, where the probabilities are actually not um, crazily high, but still high enough. But did he know uh, when he came up with the name of this theoretical person that, uh, the person with the same name would be talking about this on a podcast. See, there we go, premonition. Because as soon as I saw that, Brian from Britain, I knew I knew they were talking about me in a past yeah. life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I find it interesting in the show notes that you want to talk about sort of uh, how this is similar to, you know, prophets like Nostradamus, but not necessarily because it, it's a, it's highly personal, right? As, instead of like received wisdom. But Nostradamus is different. Like we've talked about him before and it's these types of prophetic dreams. I like to more equate to just regular people. You know, like I'll, you know, I'll be talking to somebody and 
something happens, like, oh, I dreamt that was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. But why didn't you tell me before it happened, right? Right. Because you connect your dream to it only after. That's the problem with uh, these prophetic dreams is that there's no connection to them before. And what's great is in the Wiseman article, he talks about how somebody precisely was able to do this because of what happened with the Lindbergh baby. The infamous Lindbergh baby, yeah. When that happened, a, uh, psycho- a Harvard psychologist named Henry Murray decided to use this to see if he could track premonitions and if anybody would have dreams about this once the crime was solved. And like apparently he had to wait two years, but then he discovered that with, and he got um, 1,300 responses about it. So basically what he did is he placed an ad in the newspaper saying, do you believe, do you know what happened to the Lindbergh baby? If so, uh, mail me at the following address with these particulars. And uh, can you guess at how many of those 1,300 uh, prophecies were correct? See, I don't want to spoil it because I know I read the article. I did my homework here. Uh, a very infinitesimally small amount of people. Uh, yeah, zero. Yeah, uh, exactly. A few of them got like some <laughs> well, things so correct. I think like five or six had said like, oh, the, the child is dead near the um, property, like near the Lindbergh property. So he says that like only 5% of the responses uh, suggested that the baby was dead. And then only four of the 1300 responses mentioned that he was buried in a grave near some trees. Right. And zero had uh, guessed that this guy was a, the person who committed this crime was, was a German immigrant who was illegal. Yeah. In the country. Or, and then none of them mentioned the latter or extortion notes or ransom money. Exactly, like nothing yeah. of that. Yeah. You can say, Oh wow. But those four people knew that it was buried in a grave near some trees. Well, I mean, you're taking a guess at that point. For sure. And I think it's, it's kind of funny that we're talking about this. I feel like it's the same way that you, um, um, you know, in watching behind the curve that the flat earth documentary that we recently watched separately, but then discussed together, um, they're talking about how a lot of the people tend to, um, who believe in flat earth look at, not at their thesis statement, but at the end result and then reformulate, um, their thesis, their thesis statement as well as the evidence behind it in order to support the end game and not, um, going forward with a thesis statement. That's that's confirmation bias, basically, right? For and sure, like, yeah. You're you're and also forgetting, you know, you're looking for the hits as usual, yeah. right? You're you're forgetting all the stuff that doesn't never worked, and you just remembered when something was correct. So you can say, oh, I can tell the future. This one time, I predicted that this hockey team was going to lose, right? Like, sorry, and and now you're getting <laughs> upset with me. I know just by seeing what you're writing in our show notes because I was <laughs> highlighting stuff absent by three weeks in a row. You do this to me. Yeah, I couldn't have seen that coming. Actually, I did see that coming, Angela. I'm sorry. No, and, I, and honestly, this was that was not a joke. It's just I absentmindedly do that. Uh, but I find I, it like a cute trait that like you you absentmindedly do this. It's really weird, right? <laughs> um, did um, you predict I, that I would do that, Brian? I did actually. Uh, I wrote on a dream. piece of paper and I showed my fiance, and she agreed. So ha, uh, it, yeah, yeah. Ha, have you watched the uh, show The OA? I have not. I know it's on Netflix. I have not had a chance to watch it yet because I know there's a second season now. I haven't had a chance to check it out. Um, and you never watched the first season either? No. Uh, are you going to sort of premonition me? No, I'm not going to spoil anything really, but the, the, the second season does talk about dreams and how and how they're related to prophecies and stuff. And it was kind of interesting that this came up at the same time as we were looking at this. For sure. Uh, so you think that a lot of this is linked to the conscious and subconscious mind in that case? How so? Like it, it, it has nothing to do with the other. Like you're, you know, you're always thinking about things and you'll often dream about tragedies. Right. I'm just saying subconsciously in terms of like when you're dreaming, your brain tends to reformulate. You know, I consider dreams like the remix of my day. Yeah. I'll, I'll have some weird dreams where they make no sense. And, uh, my daughter's like I am, uh, genetics, uh, go figure. 
she will often talk about her dreams, which is something I used to do at her age all the time. And I know it put a lot of relevance to my dreams. Uh, and the one that, that one, the dreams that always bothered me the most is anything to do with teeth. And I know that's, that means something apparently in, in dream reading. I just don't remember what. Let's look this up. Let's use the internet. Uh, did you lose teeth? Sometimes I've lost teeth. Yeah. Sometimes I have horrible nightmares of tripping on stairs and hitting my face <laughs> and breaking my teeth. That's <laughs> okay, the worst. So falling teeth or losing teeth is usually a feeling of powerlessness and loss of control. Yeah, when you trip on stairs and fall flat on your face. Of course. Before we like wrap this topic up, have you ever had a prophetic dream that you feel was actually something? Yeah, absolutely. That has a meaning, and then what I'm going to do is ruin that. Sure. Okay. So uh, one of the ones that I've had, not recently, uh, not recently necessarily, um, people, and I know uh, it's because my subconscious is at work here, but people I hadn't hadn't thought about, I would have dreams about seeing them in a specific place, then I would see them in a specific place. Yeah, I guess that's that. That's kind of neat, but just a coincidence. For sure. But I mean, it, it, there was a period of time where it was happening like once a month for like a full year. It, again, though, it's still like a coincidence. It's people you know in places you're aware of that you're going to be. There might be a chance that you'll see them. Listen, I'm not arguing with you here. I'm completely in agreement. Stop so like, it, saying it just... that you can tell the future, okay? <laughs> Stop lying. <laughs> this, I like how this is just like you trying to tell me how to live my life, man. Yeah. Uh, All in Brian 2019 is really pissed at you. Yeah, exactly. I dreamt it was going to snow and then it snowed. I dreamt that you kill five people. You would ha- you would lo- allow five people to die and and not you know allow them to live. I would let them hit the trolley hit them and then I got onto the trolley, drive it back, and then hit the <laughs> other guy. <laughs> the total nihilist move. Well, my whole thing was like I was. I told you I would jump in front of the trolley and save everyone. You said that that doesn't work. That's not an option. No, it's not, unfortunately. And I feel like we've derailed it just enough in order to call episode 103 of the Double Density Podcast. To an end, Angelo, it's uh, it's been fun. People can uh, find us on the internet in various places. Isn't that correct? I wonder if anybody's going to have a dream about this episode coming out, and then it'll come out. So they should... Email us where, Brian? Double density podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter where we're most active at double underscore density and also on Instagram at double density podcast. You can also hit up double density.net, click on the contact button, send us an email. You can also view all of our newest episodes. Click on the host page so you can find out a little more about Angelo and I and anything else you may want to ask us the dream oracles, my friend. And with that, you should all tune in next week as I predict we'll have an intriguing episode ready for all of you. Angelo, see you then. See you then. my swagger check out my style know the name it's been a while i'm the book doer the miracle worker south american no raised in brooklyn roll some blunts call up the crabbers fist cuffs brand of traps fill your lips get to crabbers have a day era founded texas rangers in the house move your super take off your blouse replicated never offended fyi computer connected sync database and i'll move it to the left inform your crabbers that his laptop's all fixed Puerto Ricans will be astounded, pitching coaches will be confounded. Hey, John, your emails suck, might wanna check it out. Crabbis, the lonely crabbises are crabbis.
The lonely crevices with Delta Kravis Cause all the crevices abandoned him Him Crevices All they do is just crevice around All the crevices are crevicing tonight Cause all the crevices are crevicing today Day, day, and night down now those streets is hot, hot, wild, give it up. Props to Gina for his attention. Without it, we'd all be crabbers. Hey, dude, you take car. The crabbers be left unharmed. The crazy works is what you're doing. Evans on a tune is the hook to this band. Tony might be guarding things. Rockers, sense, museums, and beings. People like the Jonas bees, but bees and brothers are not other things. Referring to the insects and crabbies, cause the plural of crabbies is anything. Made up words be mine for the taking. Knowing to tell when I'm real or faking. Crabbies. The lonely crevices are crabbing The lonely crevices without a crevice breath Cause all the crevices abandoned him Him Crevices All they do is just crevice around All the crevices are crevicing today Cause all the crevices are crevicing today Day, day, I die Evan B be spitting on the mic. Evan B he in the house tonight. Asking all the crabs if they be alright. Like Lil Wayne, I keep my money tight. Just like Drake, I'm so far gone. Sit down, baby, I take off your thong. I sing the chorus and I got the looks. Just because I'm white, I mean I hit the books. Come to me if you looking for a hook. I ain't honest, man. I ain't no crook. Judge you what I think is right. Dollars and cents, yeah, I make alright. I'm not Rick Ross, but I'll be speeding on my bike to the end of the season. Evan B book doing with reason. Come on, judge, don't charge me with treason. Crabbers. The lonely crevices are crevicing The lonely crevices without a crevice breath Cause all the crevices abandoned him Him Crevices All they do is just crevice around All the crevices are crevicing tonight Cause all the crevices are crevicing today Day, day, and night Praise Peter Kravis for all of his help Without the strange being, we'd all be in hell. Kravis, 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 Kravis. 1394, Kravis.